Well, today we want to continue in our study of the book of Acts, and we've come to a very, uh, a very interesting place. Who knows how long it will take us to get through this chapter uh, of Acts. This is uh, the story, this begins really the story of Saul. This really begins the story of Saul of Tarsus, the story of Paul. You know already that the book of Acts is about the restoration of Israel, uh, and which, which in a microcosm, you know, in a small setting, you have uh, the gospel comes to Jerusalem, but the, the spirit of God is poured out in Jerusalem and in Judea, and then uh, to Samaria. And then uh, we've seen in the last few weeks the beginnings of the remotest part of the earth the beginnings of the remotest part of the earth uh, with uh, the, uh, the Samaritans uh, and the, uh, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Uh, and so now what Luke does uh, is he pauses now and we have in this chapter the calling of Rav Shaul, uh, the calling of Paul, because as we'll see in earnest, really beginning in chapter 13, will be the story of the travels of Paul. Uh, that, that really becomes what most of the second part of the entire book of Acts uh, is, is Paul's journeys. But here we see uh, his calling. And his calling really says a lot to us about our faith in Yeshua. It tells us a lot about him. Uh, and uh, also, uh, it, uh, it's, it says something uh, uh, about what it means to have a calling and, and what that means. So we want to talk about uh, we want to talk about these things, and we'll see how far we get uh, today. Okay. So if you have your uh, Bible there in uh, chapter nine, beginning in verse one. Okay. Now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Well, I guess we got to stop there. <laughs> okay. So still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. You know, if you go back to um, uh, chapter uh, eight, uh, one chapter earlier at the beginning of the chapter, we read there about Saul. And it says, and Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That would be Stephen. Okay. Uh, and so uh, we see that he was in hearty agreement with, uh, you know, with uh, uh, putting him uh, to death. If you go back to chapter seven, actually, at the very end of the chapter, just before Stephen dies, uh, we read there in verse 58. And when they had driven him out of the city, that's Stephen, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So there you are. Saul is right there with the people who are stoning Stephen. Uh, and it's kind of interesting when you think about his background a little bit. All throughout Acts, we have different statements about Paul slash Saul or Saul slash Paul and his background. And we're going to look at some of them uh, uh, today. 
But uh, one is, you know, where he comes from, right? He comes from Tarsus. Tarsus was a Hellenistic uh, 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 city uh, in, in a place called Cilia, in a place called Cilia. Now, if you go back uh, to uh, uh, chapter uh, six of Acts, and we first read about uh, Stephen, and we read about Philip and these Hellenistic uh, uh, Jews. It talks about a synagogue, a Hellenistic synagogue in Jerusalem, in verse 9, in verse 9 of Acts 6. It says, but, but some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, and I always like to say not freedmen, as uh, we might hear that name today, this is a different Friedman, okay? Uh, but some men went from what was called the synagogue of the freed men, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians. And look what it says. And some from uh, Cilicia and Asia rose up and argued with Stephen. So it's just kind of interesting that Paul was one of those people who um, rose up uh, against uh, Stephen. Uh, and was in hearty agreement to stone him. And Paul, Saul, was one who was, uh, he might have been young, but uh, he comes from a very important lineage that we'll see. But he was at the forefront of uh, rounding up the Messianic Jews and, uh, and uh, bringing them back to Jerusalem to, to evidently be put on trial, stoned, who knows what. So as it says, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples uh, of uh, the Lord. You know, if we turn over to uh, Acts chapter 22 for a second. Here, Acts 22, we read uh, this uh, in verse uh, uh, 4. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. Okay? Uh, and then he says, As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify, from them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished, right? And then in chapter 26, in chapter 26, you might want to keep your fingers or put a piece of paper here because we, we may be going back and forth a little bit to these uh, chapters uh, uh, today. So then it says in chapter 26, uh, in verse 9, beginning in verse 9, so then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Yeshua of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. And not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them, even to foreign cities. 
And then he goes on to talk about his testimony of what happened on the way to Damascus. When he says in chapter 26, by the way, and try to force them to blaspheme, this is, of course, after now he's a believer. And so what that means is he tried to get them to deny Yeshua. That's what he's saying. He tried to get them to deny Yeshua. And this is what he was doing. Now, there's some other things we need to say about uh, Saul of Tarsus here. Okay? I, throughout his letters and also in Acts, we read a lot of things. Uh, we read a lot of things about him, right? Uh, we know a lot about him. For example, and I, I guess I'll read these uh, passages. Uh, one of them, and you're probably familiar with them. It's, you know, uh, we like in our messianic world like to turn to these passages periodically. In Philippians chapter three, we read here. He was circum in verse five. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's significant, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, you know, that's when we, we call him a Jerusalem Jew, even though he was born in Tarsus. We call him a Jerusalem Jew because Hebrew, uh, it's, it's not just talking about him uh, being Jewish, but that, uh, you know, Hebrew was his language. Uh, although he also obviously spoke Aramaic and uh, Greek. <laughs> okay, being a Roman citizen as well, and, and educated and, and so on, and by law, a Pharisee, as to zeal. It's very important what we understand as to zeal, a persecutor of the kehilah, of the believers, of the community of Messiah followers. And then he says, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Now, we might ask ourselves, you know, how could this be? Uh, that, uh, that in one breath, he can call himself, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, loved God, zealous for the Torah, yet he persecuted uh, the, uh, the uh, believers. Uh, if, if Yeshua is the Messiah, how is it, you know, that he did not uh, automatically uh, understand that? In another place, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Uh, and are they a descendant of Abraham? So am I, right? Uh, we read in uh, the book of Romans in the 11th chapter, right? In the first uh, verse, I, uh, I, am an, I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham uh, from the tribe uh, of uh, the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, I won't take the time to read the rest of them because the rest of them are in Acts. But what we do read is that uh, he has, uh, he was born a Pharisee, raised a Pharisee. And then he also says, when he's before the Sanhedrin, he says, I am a Pharisee. I mean, this is, this is late. This is toward the end of his life. This is after he's written almost all the letters. He says, I am a Pharisee. So, you know, he did not have what you call, you know, here in Acts 9, a conversion experience where he used to be Jewish, you know, uh, where he stops uh, 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 being Jewish. Not, you know, not, uh, not at all. He says some other things about himself. In 1 Timothy, he says, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, he says. Well, he leaves no stone unturned when he talks about, you know, who he was. 
he says, you may have heard of my former manner of life, how I, uh, uh, you know, how I used to persecute the believers beyond measure. I mean, it wasn't just like yelling at, at them, you know? It was really uh, quite a serious, quite serious business. So, you know, I think we need to pause uh, and ask ourselves, why did he do this? What was his motivation for all of this? Well, I would suggest that his motivation was not just, uh, he, I'm going to suggest he did not have a political uh, motivation. You know how we talk about in the Gospels, uh, part of the motivation of the Pharisees, of, uh, you know, of the Sanhedrin was uh, Yeshua had gained power. Uh, he had gained a following, you, you know, and they needed to put it down. They needed to quell the disturbance. I would suggest that is not Saul of Tarsus here or Paul. That is not his motivation that his motivation is, quote-unquote, religious or spiritual. That he saw himself, I would suggest, as preserving the covenant. That, that he really saw these Messianic Jews as tearing down, one might say, the, the spiritual infrastructure. He was blind. He did not understand who Yeshua was. But I do not believe that he was political in his motivation, but that he was religious. He was like some people today uh, who come against us out, just out of ignorance, who just assume that this is heresy, you know, and we must put a stop to it. Uh, as uh, some have said, perhaps he was thinking that his no to Yeshua was actually a yes to God. In other words, that uh, he was being a, a zealous, religious, uh, a courageous uh, Jewish person uh, who was uh, trying to uh, quell this, uh, this heresy that, that, that had popped up uh, uh, here. Doesn't it remind you of what he himself writes? And maybe it puts a little different spin on uh, the, his uh, pathos when he writes a passage like uh, Romans chapter 10, you know, in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation, for, for their deliverance. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And perhaps he's saying, that was me, you know? Uh, and so here he was, a, a Pharisee. He, he studied under Gamaliel. We talked about Gamaliel. He has quite the heritage, quite the religious heritage, okay? There's nothing that we see in here about having, you know, about being a, having the dark side of a political gain or, or anything, uh, anything like that. Uh, uh, but that he went after, he was going after the Messianic Jews because he thought he was doing the right thing, in other words, before God. But he wasn't, as, as we uh, will see here. All right. 
So now it says he went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, so uh, he goes to the high priests and asks for letters. What kind of letters? And why does he go to the high priest? Well, as it turns out, uh, there was an agreement uh, that uh, the Romans had with the priesthood of Israel, with the Sanhedrin of Israel, that if there were Jews living in other places, that basically uh, the the Sanhedrin could send emissaries to have them extradited, to have them brought back to uh, uh, Jerusalem. And so what Paul, what Saul here needed was letters, letters of entree, you know, that uh, the high priest sent him. And isn't it interesting that he goes to the synagogues of Damascus? That tells you something, tells you that where would he expect to find Messianic Jews? He expected to find Messianic Jews in Jewish places. What were the Jewish places? They were synagogues. Synagogues were not just uh, places you went to for quote-unquote uh, services, right? Uh, synagogues were places uh, that were like the Jewish community center, the synagogue, the, uh, the federation, uh, Jewish social services, all under one roof, <laughs> you know, all in one place. And so he went to the synagogues of Damascus. Tells you something else. Hey, there's Jews in Damascus, right? Uh, and as it turns out, there were thousands of Jews living in Damascus. Okay, so that's interesting to know as well. And yet there's another thing. Okay, how did they already know about Yeshua? If he's going to Damascus to hunt down Messianic Jews, this is only within two years or so of the resurrection. This is like, like most estimates are 18 months to two years uh, from the resurrection to, to this point. How is it that there's Messianic Jews in Damascus? Well, the answer is, of course, we know from Acts chapter 2 that, that uh, there were, there were uh, Jews from all over the place that were at, uh, uh, you know, for Shavuot, were in Jerusalem. And word uh, got out and people were hearing all over the place. So isn't it very interesting that in a very short period of time, there were already Jewish believers out, outside of the environs of, um, you know, of Jerusalem, uh, uh, Judea, and Samaria. Also, of course, you know, uh, Damascus is about 120, 130 miles from uh, uh, Jerusalem. But in between Damascus and Jerusalem, just over the border, so to speak, there was another city called Antioch. Uh, and Antioch, that uh, was a uh, vibrant Messianic Jewish community uh, right there. So it makes sense that there would have been believers in Damascus. One question that I, that I wondered is, uh, uh, was there already the congregation in Antioch? And if so, why doesn't he go there? <laughs> but anyway, he's on his way to, uh, he's on his way to uh, Damascus to haul him in. Now, we have now something else here in verse 2. Uh, it says here, and he asked for letters 
from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, so now what we see, isn't it interesting that uh, the, the, um, the believers are referred to as the way, the way, the derech, you know, uh, the way. Uh, this was a designation for this new movement, and it's used in Acts in a few times. We read about it in chapter 19 a couple of times, and in chapter 22 and chapter 24, the way. And of, of course, uh, in the Tanakh, we read about the way of the Lord. Uh, you know, I have a whole list of all the places where we read that, but uh, time doesn't allow me to read uh, any of them. One of them is in uh, Genesis chapter 19, you know, in verse uh, 18, I believe it is, uh, where uh, Abraham, you know, uh, is called to walk in the way of the Lord. But you read it all over the place. The way, the way of the Lord. Yeshua says in John chapter 14, I am the way, you know, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Yeshua is the way. Uh, in fact, if you are old enough to remember here in Ohio, there used to be a, uh, sadly, a cult called The Way, The Way International. I don't know if you remember, anybody is old enough to remember that, but that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking about, uh, uh, they're called The Way. They're also called the, the Nazareans. Uh, that's another name that's, that's used, but here uh, called uh, The Way. Okay, so now uh, we see here, a funny thing happened on the way to Damascus, right? All right. So it came about that as he journeyed, and he had an entourage with him. He wasn't by himself, of course. He had an entourage with him. He was approaching Damascus. He was near Damascus, evidently, uh, in Syria, which tells us that this took place outside of Eretz Israel. So that's just interesting also to, to note. Okay. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. A light from heaven flashed around him. Now, light in the Bible is always, a so well, oftentimes, I shouldn't say always, of course, not always, but many times predominantly is associated uh, with God. You have the pillar of light in the wilderness, right? The lampstand in the tabernacle and in the temple. You have the Lord is my light and my salvation. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light in Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah 49, Yeshua and those who embrace him are called a light to the nations. And, and Yeshua himself, if you're familiar with the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, his garments shone as white as light. And I think that's very significant, actually, that his garments shone as white as light because it is Yeshua who he sees. And so he sees the light of Yeshua. He sees the glory of Yeshua. Perhaps it is what Stephen uh, saw, uh, perhaps. And isn't that an irony that uh, Stephen sees the heavens open up and there's Yeshua and he's being killed and Saul is in hearty agreement with those who are killing him. And now Saul sees Yeshua, uh, you know, in this great light. We read in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, God is light, you know. And, uh, and so he sees this great light. Basically, God breaks in. God breaks in to where he is. This persecutor, uh, this person who is 
who is doing despicable acts toward Messiah followers, you know? So it says he fell to the ground and he heard a voice. Now, you know, it's interesting that the rabbis talk about something called the bat kol, the bat kol. Literally, it means the daughter of the voice. Uh, and what it refers to is the voice of God post-prophets. <laughs> After the time of the prophets, when God would speak to people directly, it was called the bat kol. Uh, actually, when Yeshua was uh, immersed and he came up out of the water, he hears a voice from heaven, right? Uh, and that also sometimes is referred to as the bat kol. Just interesting. But here, clearly, it is the voice of Yeshua himself. I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, O Lord? And he said, I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. All right. So here uh, we see that he hears a voice and he hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So in another place, uh, again, I won't take the time. It's, I believe it's uh, in Acts uh, 22. I, uh, uh, he says that he's, he heard the voice in Hebrew. <laughs> it's interesting. He heard the voice. He, he spoke to me in Hebrew is uh, what we read when uh, Paul is testifying uh, later on. It doesn't say it here, but when Paul is speaking at his trials, when he gives his speeches in chapter 22 and 23 and 24 and 26, he refers back to this time. Uh, and it says he spoke in, uh, in Hebrew. Okay. Uh, and he says to him, Saul. Now, here's something else that's very interesting. He doesn't call him Paul. He doesn't call him Paul. Okay? Uh, he calls him Saul. Do you know that there is nowhere in the Brit Hadashah where, where Saul is given by God or laid hands on and given the name Paul? Like even with Ananias, when Ananias lays hands on him and he receives the Holy Spirit, it doesn't say, and now your name shall be Paul. The first time we read that is Paul is in Acts chapter 13. And, and that's a fascinating passage. And I can't wait till we get there. But the first time we read it is where Luke says he's narrating. And he says, Saul, who was also called Paul, is also called Paul. So that's just kind of interesting that you don't see some like official name change. Like, you know, he became a believer and God gave him a new name. You do not read that about Rav Shaul. It's fine to call him Paul. I call him Paul. I'm just used to it, you know. I, uh, but it, it, there's some interesting things to observe. One is, you know, the spelling both in Hebrew, both in uh, Greek, and in English, <laughs> just, just coincidentally in English, but they're, they're very similar, just one letter off, you know? Now, some say that Paul might have been a name that he had from being a Roman citizen, that, that maybe, uh, you know, he didn't get that name after he became a believer, but that it was like his Roman citizen name, Paul. Or uh, to a Gentile audience, he was called Paul. Nothing wrong with it. It's just important to know that, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting that it wasn't, you don't read anywhere that like God changed his name. Just an interesting observation. Okay. So he calls him Saul. Yeshua calls him Saul. And he says, why are you persecuting me? 
Well, wait a minute. I, isn't uh, what uh, Yeshua, isn't what Paul is doing is persecuting people? Isn't he persecuting like, uh, like just finding the Jewish believers and rooting them out, you know, and uh, taking them to Jerusalem? Yeshua doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Yeshua doesn't say, why are you persecuting the Messianic Jews? Or why are you persecuting them? He says, why are you persecuting me? Me. Wow. This is a major statement of solidarity of Yeshua and the Kehillah, the community of Messiah followers. It's not just that we see ourselves as his body, but he sees himself within the Kehillah, within the community of Messiah followers. Now, if you remember, I won't rehash the whole thing, but you remember in weeks past, we talk about Yeshua is ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and that we are seated with him in heavenly places. We are there. He is here. There and via the Holy Spirit, via the Holy Spirit, we have this connection individually and corporately together in unity. And so Yeshua sees himself as here. And so when we are persecuted for the faith, when we are persecuted for being Messiah followers, not for other things, maybe, I don't know. But when we are persecuted for being Messiah followers, Yeshua is being persecuted. Uh, and, and so that's important. And you know that uh, clearly we read a lot of passages in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeshua says, blessed are those who are persecuted, right? For my sake or on account of me, he says. The prophets were persecuted also. What, is, what does Paul tell Timothy? If you walk in a godly way, you will be persecuted. Paul understood, and we'll get into this more next week, he understood that part of his calling was being persecuted. It was like part of the calling, and I would suggest it's part of our calling, it is indeed persecution because following Yeshua is a radical thing to do. And here, Rab Shaul, Paul comes in a very radical way. Another thing we learn here is that, you know, Yeshua doesn't hate Paul. He doesn't hate him. He doesn't see him as the enemy of enemies, and he doesn't strike him dead. Isn't that something? Now, the Messiah followers certainly didn't like him. Uh, they were persecuted by him. But Yeshua saw him as, you're part of my people. You're part of my people. And he calls him here. Uh, and so that's why we should be praying. When people come against us, we should be praying for them. With all the zeal that people come against us with, we should be praying that that zeal would be turned to walking with the Lord. And we should never give up on anybody. Because if God can save Rav Shaul, if he can deliver him, he can deliver anybody. You know? And maybe we all know people uh, who've been delivered. I just heard a story. I just heard a story the other day about a relative of, uh, of someone who for years and years and years paid no attention to God, just living, living the high life. And now, bam, 
you know, knows the Lord, there's fruits of salvation, can't get enough of it, you know, that can happen. Maybe your testimony, my testimony, my, I was not headed toward belief in Yeshua. I can tell you that. Uh, in no way, shape, or form uh, was I raised to believe in Yeshua or was I raised to have anything to do with the Brit Harashah scriptures? Zero. And it wasn't like uh, neutral either. It wasn't like neutral. It's we are not that, you know? And here I am. And maybe that's your story. And so be encouraged, you know, like if you're praying for people and, and you've been praying and praying and praying, keep on doing it. Keep on praying, okay? Because uh, if God can do it uh, for uh, him, uh, he uh, can do that uh, for you. And let's not be hating people. Let's not be looking, for example, let's not be looking at uh, the Jewish community as them. We need to look at them as us. And maybe, you know, we need to look at the greater community that way. May we, maybe we need to look at the greater community of which we live and breathe here where we live and not view all of the people who are not walking with God and maybe living lives of debauchery. And maybe we need to see them on a certain level as us and not put up walls, but be praying, praying and inviting and speaking and talking and communicating, right? Because you never know what God will do. I could think of lots of names. Uh, do you remember Charles Colson? Some of you may remember Chuck Colson. Uh, you talk about a political person that would do anything for the sake of his political party and would do anything and, uh, illegal or illegal or whatever. A rough, tough guy came to know the Lord, affected millions of people. You know, he wrote, uh, he wrote a book uh, uh, about it, uh, Chuck Colson. I, I can't remember the, the name of the book off the top of my head, but uh, I think it was one word. I I can't remember the name of it, but anyway, but here he became a, a Messiah follower and that was really a big deal. And so it is here with, uh, with Paul, uh, with uh, Saul of Tarsus. Why are you persecuting me? You know, and uh, so what we're going to do uh, is uh, we're going to stop. Well, first I'll just say this. He said, who art thou Lord? He recognizes he recognizes this is like, like Moses at the burning bush kind of moment. Like God broke in, the light of God. I don't, I don't know what's happening, you know? And so he said, I am Yeshua whom you are persecuting. Make no bones about it. This was not some angel of the Lord. This was not a hallucination. He did not have epilepsy. This was Yeshua speaking to him. So it tells us that Yeshua is part of the invisible spiritual world uh, and part of the visible spiritual world uh, uh, within us uh, and uh, as he uh, may appear. You know, remember at the very end of the Gospel of John, Yeshua identifies himself as the ladder, like the ladder that, that Jacob saw with angels going up and down on it. Yeshua is the connector of the visible and invisible world. We are the visible manifestation of the presence of Yeshua. So, you know, there's two ways of looking at that. One is, okay, well, when we're persecuted, they're persecuting him. But, you know, maybe another question for us to ask ourselves is, wow, are we being that kind of testimony? I mean, do people see Yeshua when they see us? 
That is a profound question that we need to ask, uh, ask, uh, our, uh, ask ourselves. Uh, and so what we're gonna do is we're going to stop here. Uh, and, uh, and I hope that one of the things we see is something that I like to say, we believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, not in spite of being Jewish, but because we're Jewish. And here God called this, uh, the most unlikely person, you know? He wasn't uh, an Am Haaretz. He wasn't like a person of the land. He wasn't a person who was a, someone who was unknowledgeable. He wasn't someone who was duped. He wasn't someone who was talked into something. He had all the knowledge. He had the, he had the Jewish credentials and he had the Roman credentials, right? Actually, he's the perfect person, isn't he? But he had all that knowledge, but God broke in. It goes to show you that when we come to know the Lord, yes, there's evidences, uh, evidences that, that prove the resurrection. There are evidences that, that tell us that our faith is historically accurate. But at the end of the day, God breaks into people's lives. That's how it works. God breaks into people's lives. And so may we be encouraged, uh, you know, uh, in that way. And so this is just the beginning of the story of Rav Shaul. Uh, and uh, may we remember our testimony. We'll talk more about next week about our, the test, his testimony and his calling and the calling that God has given us. We'll save that for next week. But for this week, it's so uh, wonderful to see how God is breaking in. And, you know, God called Israel to be a light to the nations. So what does he do? He takes someone with all the credentials and says, I'm going to make you like one of my chief emissaries, Jewish emissaries of being a light to the nations. And what a great role model he is for, for us. Well, let's pray. Lord uh, God, I pray, Lord, that uh, when we think about the days in which we live, and it might, we might, it might seem so defeated, like the world is like uh, just falling apart at the seams, and there's nothing that anybody can do. Lord, uh, thank you that when we look at a passage like this, we know that you can break in. And so we pray, God, for revival. We pray, Lord, that you would break in to people's lives. We break in that, that you would break into people's lives who are opinion makers and game changers and change agents in this world. They're not above you. They're not more powerful than you. And uh, Lord, you took this powerful Jewish man and you not only revealed yourself to him, but he couldn't see and he had to be led along the way. You took him down to nothing, so to speak. Uh, uh, Lord, uh, he became powerless, uh, Lord. Uh, and, uh, and I pray, Lord, that, and you reshaped him and uh, called him out to serve you. God, I look forward uh, in the next days and weeks and months to seeing and hearing about other people like Rav Shaul, God, whom you call and make a difference. And I pray, Lord, that we might remember the time when we came, when you revealed yourself to us. May we think back about that time and have a renewed sense of urgency, a renewed sense of energy, uh, Lord, and, uh, uh, and a vision for our lives, God. Uh, sometimes the things of this world and age and other things get in the way of thinking about that calling you have on all of us, and we get weighed down. Lord, I pray, just like 
uh, Rav Shaul here that throughout his life, he looked back to this moment and it energized him. It reminded him of who he was. And uh, so God, may we be encouraged and may we serve you every moment of every day of our lives, realizing that we did not, we did not just decide to follow you, but you've called us, God. And may we indeed fulfill that calling. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.